0: your attention to four new deacons that have been invited been invited on our deacon team and uh, deacons give uh leadership over a lot of our ministry areas and the four that um our elders have recently approved are Rob Hunt who will serve in Our outreach uh, ministry, Eric and Heather Hurst, who will serve in children's ministry, and then Debbie Clam, who will serve in student ministries. And each of these have already been serving and been servant leaders in these ministries, and we put out their names so that if you have any issue following them, uh, that you would take care of that. In other words, you would call them and connect with them and uh, seek out any restoration for any conflict you'd have. We're not anticipating that will happen, but we believe that leadership is is a premium, and we um, set up all of our leaders to be servant leaders. And if you have any hesitation with any of these, please contact them. Don't call me or send me an email. Follow Matthew 18, and if someone has offended you in any way, go to that person and confess that with them then. And my hope is that these, uh, each of these four leaders will just lead out of freedom and joy that they've already been serving with. Okay. So we're at this series called Behind and Before, and we're looking at the children of Israel who were brought out of Egypt and they were getting ready for the promised land. And here's more of a geographical context to the past, uh, actually the messages of this past year uh, in 2022 when we started with Genesis, Exodus, all the way to Deuteronomy now. And if you look at that lower right-hand side, uh, that's known as Canaan. And that's the area that God promised Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12 to leave Ur of the Chaldees and go to the land that he would show him because in that land he would, be, he would bless him. He would make his name great so that he would be a blessing so that in him all the nations on the earth will be blessed. And so this is that area that we've been spending time in, more specifically here. And if I can put the events of each of those books, from Genesis all the way to Deuteronomy, this is where they happened, okay? So remember, Joseph in Genesis 35 is sold into slavery, and he goes to Egypt, and he rises into Pharaoh's household, and he actually interprets the dream that there would be seven years of, of prosperity and seven years of, of famine. And through that, he would provide food for the whole world during this famine. And then 400 years later, after Jacob moves there with his family, all of a sudden, God calls Moses to move them out of Egypt and down where Leviticus is. That's Mount Sinai, where he gives them the law, which we heard about last week in the message, and then Numbers. Uh, numbers is literally them numbering how many were in each tribe, because God told them two years after he moved them out of Egypt that he was going to move them into the promised land to go and take that land. So the people send out one representative from each of the 12 tribes. Those 12 spies go out and for 40 days they look at the land and they weren't told uh, and asked whether or not they could, they could take it. They were just called to give a report of the land, but they came back and they said, boy, it is great. We've never seen land like this. It's flowing with milk and honey. And, and by the way, we can't take it because the people are too big and we're too small. And two of the 12 rose up and said, Jacob and Caleb, they said, yes, the people are huge. And no, we are not stronger than they are, but God is stronger than all of us. And the majority report was heard. And the people of Israel believed the majority report and ignored the minority of of, uh, Joshua and Caleb. So God said, if you can't trust me to take you into the land... You're not going to go into the land. And for 38 more years, 38 more years, they wandered. Here is a picture, if you follow that line, of their movement, movement out of Egypt into Sinai and then up... All the way getting ready to go up, God was bringing them right up on the the outer fringes of the promised land, and they said, no, we can't, and that's where they go. It's just this cycle of wandering and loops if we were to trace them, and now at the end of Moses' life, they're right on the corner of the promised land. Okay, and so the life of Moses, he was 120 years old when he dies. And most scholars, when they look at his life, separate him into the 40-year segments. The first 40, he was in Egypt. He was an Israelite in the Egyptian royalty trying to be something. But then he murders an Egyptian, right? And he runs for his life. For 40 years in Midian, he learns how to shepherd in the middle of nowhere, living as a nomad out there, and he was learning to become nothing at that point. And that's out of that nothingness, God called him to something greater. And for these next 40 years now, especially through this book of Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law here, he is showing Israel how to make God everything. And so as we come to this point, that one generation of which even he would not be allowed in that land, he could only look at it, he was coming and, and, and just longing to give this picture of the promised land to all those generations who would go in to occupy it. This is his sermon where he calls them to trust God and to faithfully follow God. And so look what he says uh, as, as we look at this in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son, and your son's sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I have commanded you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel. And be careful to do them, that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. So if you just see this, that he's sharing his heart, he's pouring out his heart to the people and he's basically sharing with them what he was longing for. Them, the people of God, dwelling in the blessing of God, bringing that blessing to the rest of the world. Did you realize God geographically strategically positioned israel to be in a very precarious place he told them that if if they followed him and they trusted him he would use out of this small nation he would make them a light to all the other nations and that was their destiny they would bless the entire world but he put them in a place that if they wandered from him and served other gods he would scatter them and that's exactly what you have in Israel, in this century, in this uh, roughly 1400 BC uh, time here is, is you see them on, right in this place, Egypt to the south, this superpower, and all the kingdoms to the north. In order for them to get to each other, they have to go through Canaan because all to the east of that area is desert. You can't travel with animals and, and all that. And so this was the place that God would have his people. And so now he would share in verses 4 and 5 how. How are we to follow this God? Why should, how do we trust him? How do we trust him in the land? This is the, this is the secret. Look at verses 4 and 5 with me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Okay. Okay. Just because I want you to remember this when you walk away, I want you to say it along with me. Would you read verses four and five with me? Ready? Out loud. Yes, I said it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. If you grew up in a Jewish home or you have a friend who's Jewish, this is known as the Shema, which in Hebrew, that word literally means hear or listen, listen to God. And the second thing that's said here is to love the Lord your God. That Hebrew word is Ahab. And so it even kind of rhymes. Shema Ahab. Listen to the Lord, love the Lord. That's how you follow. That's how you trust him is to make your major motivation, the listening to his word so that you might love him more. And if you think about this, this is, something, this is something that we're called into as people. And I want to just dissect this a little bit more with you. The first part of this passage says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, some might think that the Lord is one refers to the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. But here it just talks about the exclusivity. The, that there is only one God, the living, true, almighty God. And he's revealed himself to us. And and he is the one above all other gods, out of all the things we could pursue in this world, out of all the things we could worship, all the all the things that we could make more important than everything else, he is the one to be first. He's our priority. He's the one and only. Second, because he is that, love him. Love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. God is my first love, basically, is what this passage is saying. He's not only the one I love, but he's the first one I love. He's not, I do this, this, and this, and then I love him. He's not fourth on the list. He's not second on the list. He's first. And he receives the priority of my love. And so when God is my first love, what can you expect to happen in your life? I want to propose there's three things that will happen in your life when you love God as your first love. First of all, your heart will be fulfilled. Here it says, love the Lord with all your heart. In the Jewish perspective or understanding of the heart, it wasn't like the American standard of our our hearts. Our hearts in our current view is that that's the picture of our desires and our longings and our passions. It certainly meant that, but it meant more. Here it included the mind the Jewish perspective meant that everything that you process, all that you know, all the understanding that you have, and, and all that, that, that uh, processing of your mind, as well as the longings and desires and the motivations of your heart, is to love God, is to love God first with everything of your heart and with your mind. Now, when you think about this, when you think about this, you can say, how am I fulfilled when I do that? Well, God's not up in heaven like a precious moment figurine where he's kind of just looking here and here and saying I love you Love me back or will you love me back? And he's not like us in a jealous romantic relationship and we don't think that person really loves us So we're always wondering how do I stand? You know, do you like me check? Yes or no? God is not that kind of relationship. He is someone who has loved us without limit He has loved us Unconditionally and so when we love him, we, he sources us with the love in which he loves us. We know that we're loved. That's one of our greatest desires, whether our processing of where we stand with people or whether our desires and our passions, uh, That we, we want to know that we are loved. And our Heavenly Father, the creator of the universe, has called us into loving him as he's loved us. See we should know by now because we've been in Genesis. Remember when God created us in his image You have father son and spirit the triune God inviting us in That's why he created us. He fashioned us in his image to be loved by him And to love him And he gives us that he gives us that and when we do that our hearts are fulfilled secondly, our souls are grounded when we think about soul here, um, you, what I want you to think about is your purpose, your, your mission, your significance in life. All that you long for is, in, is what the Jews believed is encapsulates the soul. So the meaning that you're here, the reason why you're, why you're here is to, is to love the Lord your God. Now think about this. How many times have you wondered, what, I'm on, what on earth am I here for? How many times have you wondered, who am I? We almost ask that, ourselves that question all the time. If we've lost a loved one, we wonder, well, what is my life going to be like when the kids leave? We all go, what's life going to be like? I know some of you are going, yes. But, but the picture behind this is really our identity. And unlike the identity of our current culture, which thinks you have to discover it and then you have to force it on others to affirm God says I have loved you. He said to Israel, you're my firstborn son. And and so what he's basically saying is would you allow me to love you and fill your life with love so you can love me and love people around you? If you want an identity, God gives it to you. You're beloved. You're beloved by the King of the Universe. That grounds your soul. That grounds your soul. You won't look around when you're loving him with your first and your best. You're not gonna look around and the approval of people or acceptance of others is just not going to have its weight that you thought it had when you weren't loving God and just wanting people to love you back or when you gave love with conditions so that other people would love you back. God's love grounds us. It grounds our soul in him. And then finally, uh, our strength is renewed. Here it says, you shall love the Lord with all your might. And that word is one that's more of an interpretive word. The literal phrase of that is your everything with everything, or your all in all. The completeness of your completeness, the totality of your totalness. I mean, it's just this picture. Just in case you can skirt your heart or your soul, there's nothing in your nothing that you have That shouldn't be used to love the Lord, your God. God's your first love. And when he is, your heart is fulfilled, your soul is grounded, and your strength is renewed. In other words, you find your rest. I see that in a lot of people. I've done that over the past two years. With all the uncertainties of life, with all the frustrations of leadership, I've been exhausted And so I even needed to be reminded daily that I'm the beloved of God. And that's what my prayers for you this weekend is that you would know that you know that you know that God has loved you. And he's loved you and he calls you in to be loved by him and then to fill you with his love so you can love others the same way he loves you. See, that's why my greatest prayer for my wife and my kids are always that they would love God with their first, that he would be their first love because when they are loving him, they love people around them like he loves them. He's the standard. It's not this world that gives us our standard and that's where we find our joy. That's where we find our joy. So what Moses is ultimately saying is the way to live faithfully with God is to love him faithfully. Faithfully. The way to trust God is to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Let's keep reading now. It says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlet between, frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Let's just pause. Here's There's three arenas or three contexts that, that Moses is telling them. You need to love the Lord your God. You need to love him personally. You need to love him with your family, and you need to love him in your community. And I want to kind of talk to you about these because this is really a powerful statement. We get a, get a, get a look into how God works in your life and how he uses the family to change society. And whether you're a single parent or whether you'd have two parents in your home, each of us are called as parents to do this personally so that we can give it to our families and we can live it in our communities. Let's look at the first one. We talked about loving God personally with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, and with all of our might. But ultimately, what this is saying here is, look at it, in order for these to be in our families, they must first be in us. He says, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Can you imagine just receiving that? This concept, I'm to love the Lord my God. The reason I live, the reason I'm on this earth, is to love God with my first and my best. Then it says you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. When I travel to Israel and I go to the the, uh, western wall, there's uh, Jewish rabbis there with leather straps. They literally strap these things around their hands and they hold the word of God with with that one hand so that they, the word would be bound to their lives. And then they have these really crazy wooden boxes like a phylactery, phylactery that's called and it's put right between their eyes and it's strapped around their head like a headband and they have in that the Shema. Which is known as the Shema. They love your Lord, He is one, you shall love Him with everything about you. And they will sit there and they will pray, holding the word, moving the frontlet between their eyes. Now, that was a literal interpretation of what God was calling them to be but I don't want you to miss what our application is today because I don't really want you walking around with straps of leather and a frontlet between your eyes. That would probably be more of a distraction to the love of God in your life, but here's what I want you to do. Everyone hold out your hand like this. So you think that hand, everything that hand is going to touch this week. You think about every, every thumb on that hand that is going to type a message or tweet something or type something with your hand or bless or curse, okay? And that hand, everything you touch is to reflect the love of God that's in your life. What if God has given that hand for you to reflect the love of God? Okay, keep the hand out. I know, hang with me, hang with me. I want you to take the other one and go into the silliness with me right now. Take your other hand and put it right between your eyes, okay? Look around you just so you move okay all right you can take it off I don't want you to look like crazies here okay but what I'm saying there is nothing that you could see where if you have the love of God at the forefront of your eyes where you view it through the lens of his love you see with your eyes with your eyes you judge I do I can see someone before they even say a word, what, depending on how they might be dressed or where they're not in the coolness picture of the spectrum of how I rank cool people or not. I've already made a decision before they come. And what if, what if instead of my judgment, I saw the love of God and I saw how he loved me so that when I looked at people, I would love them the way he loves me. With our eyes, we objectify If you've ever been uh, addicted to porn, you know what I'm talking about. It's the seeing of a body and longing for it without even not wanting to know the name, right? Because you want to use it or abuse it for your purposes. And yet, what if the love of God could come in there and go, that's not an object. That's a person made in the image of God whom God created and fashioned to love. And you are to love them as you love me. See, what if, what if we could look at things, and as you're marketed, you could even see with all the emails and all the little pop-ups, and since you bought this, you need to buy that. What if all the things of being a consumer, you know, that everything you saw that makes you move from, oh, I want that to, I really need that. What if we could move that into something that was controlled or governed by the love of God? That's huge. You see, when that happens, then you're talking the transformation of my life. See, God's not calling us into a you better be good for goodness sake kind of relationship. He's saying, look, I've loved you. Love me and trust that everything I tell you and everything I call you into and everything I invite you into is because I love you. And it's not just for my glory that I call you into this. It's for your good. The best, what is best for us is to follow the Lord our God with and to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. Okay, and so this moves now from us to others. And I say this because what you want for your children, what you want for your friends, what you want for your spouse must first be in you. It's just not authentic, to demand it in others or pray for it in others or long for it in others when it's not in you. Case in point. You can't just go, will you people please be patient? okay? (laughs) That doesn't work. Because you're not patient. Just that statement, just that word is not patience. And if you are loving yourself and you are longing for life in your little universe, And any type of sacrifice, any type of discomfort, any type of impatience that would come, patience come into that way, you leak that to others. You can't give to others what you don't have. And so that's why it says this must be on your heart. It's got to be in you before it goes to them. And this applies to everything. It applies to marriage. Why isn't my spouse not more caring? Why aren't you more caring? Why isn't my spouse more sensitive to my needs? Why aren't you sensitive to her needs? See, it has to be in you. It gives it the best chance. If you have a spouse who's not a Christ follower and you just long for them to be a Christ follower, how are you loving them like Christ loves you? That's your best inroad to the gospel advancing in their lives. What you want for others must first be in you. And so this is where it moves from your first love to the love in your family. Look what it says here. It says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Teach them diligently means it's persistent and it's faithful and it's unrelenting. In other words, you will choose to love the Lord your God with your heart, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might in every relationship that you are in. It says, teach them diligently to your children. And talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. Look at verse 9 there. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house. If you ever walked into a Jewish home, most Jewish homes have the Shema on their doorframe. And if you are Jewish, you usually kiss your hand and you touch that that uh, Shema, uh, that little plaque there, and you walk into the house. Because it shows it's a blessing. This will be a house that, we will, that will be ruled by a love for God and a love for each other. Doesn't that make you want to write something, put that on your doorpost? I'd love to do that, even in a Gentile house. <laughs> but here he's talking and he's giving them instructions. And this is the real practical instructions for how to move it because he knew that the way to, the way to move society is the way to move the family. And look at the intentional practices that he talks about. First of all, when you sit down. I think what he's talking about there is our meal structures, okay? Sitting down as a family. That's the number one time we do that together. And I'm not necessarily talking about McDonald's and all the fast food things or Chick-fil-A in the back of your van. I'm talking about sitting down, being intentional, and be, talking about God in a, in a comfortable way but structured, So, like, when my kids were growing up, we had three boys, we would read one chapter of the Jesus Storybook Bible. And it pointed, every one of those stories, Old Testament or New, pointed to Christ. And it was easy for our kids to understand. had lots of pictures, so we would show them that we were intentional. Didn't take a lot of time, but we were intentional. We tried to do that every night. Then my kids got more fidgety. (laughs) And the Jesus Bible started, okay, Dad, we've heard these before. So we played what should you do? And we talked about being a lover of God and a follower of God. What should you do if this happens? And we just went through different scenarios as they were in elementary school. What you should do. And we talked about the bully on the bus. There was a bully on our bus. And Cheryl and I were thinking, maybe you just need to pull our kids off the bus. I don't know. There's one person driving the bus and all they can do is, I'm going to pull this thing over, you know. And so we're going to take over and we're going to have our kids and keep them safe. Or we could talk about what would a Christ follower do with a bully. And that's what I would say. Guys, what do you do when there's a bully on the bus? Jack, my middle son, punch him in the face. We said, no, Jesus wouldn't do that. Jesus wouldn't do it. But what would he do? And we'd all laugh in this time. Nothing was perfect. And who knows where the conversation would go. But it was us relaying our faith to our kids and our kids articulating faith with us. Didn't take rocket science, but it did take intention. And, and then we move from that. For what happens in these informal settings, which says when you walk by the way in Deuteronomy six, these are informal conversations that you have. Like, do you have? It's so easy to be wrapped up in just how was school? Fine. Did it go well? Yes. Did you have fun? Yes. And that's the, that's a totality. So you just ask yes or no questions. Um, without a love for the Lord, you will always ask them, how did they do in school? How did you perform in athletics? And, and you will harp on them for their, their attitudes. And so when they perform well, when they get the honor roll, oh man, put it on your bumper. I mean, just sure, show, show everyone else. My kid is so smart. Yours is stupid, you know? <laughs> and you put it on there to show, no, we've got to be better than my kid is better than your kid. It's got to be where we're developing their hearts and we're encouraging them. Where we come alongside and you know, hey, this is where I see God using you because, man, when you told me about what you said to your friend who was going through a bad day, that just shows that Jesus is using you there. It doesn't have to be planned. Just think about it. The more that you do this, you're not talking about quality or quantity time. You're talking about the quantity of quality conversations you've had. That's what you want. And then when you lie down, this is when they go to bed. Obviously, when they're younger, this is more important. But I would continue this into high school if they let you in the room. <laughs> and I would say, as long as you've got a pathway into that room, uh, come alongside your kid and let them know that you love them, that you're proud of them, that you believe in them. Put your hand on them and bless them. This is eye to eye, face to face. Do you know when I was in student ministry, how kids longed for this. Seniors in high school hadn't had a meaningful conversation with their parents, and they were parents who brought them to church every week. Folks, think about this. We get on a good year, 40 years with your, 40 years, excuse me, on a good year, we get 40 hours with your kids. You have over 3,000 hours with your kids a year. Don't you see what God has done? He's put them in your care. So our only hope to do this is to do this with you, to equip you to do this, which is why in all of our children's ministry here, we give you a take-home page that you can have it, put it on your refrigerator, and have these conversations with your kids. And this year, it's all aligned to what we're preaching about in here. So if you have a child in our children's program, right after this, you're gonna pick them up. What did you learn about? Love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, with all your strength. So you can have those conversations there. When you lie down, there needs to be that blessing and that love shown to them. And when you wake up, this is the other thing, is when a new day happens, how do you engage it with them? And I just remember writing a note every Monday morning on a three-by-five card. I'd write a little note there And I tell them how proud I was of them. I give them a word that I could think about that I see God doing. Not a word I wanted them to be. A word that they were that was positive. I just wanted them to start their day out knowing they had someone in their life who loved them and was showing them a picture of their Heavenly Father who loved them. And you know what? On some of those notes, it was classic. One, they would stop there and read and they'd go, Dad, thanks so much. This means so much to me. Thank you so much. I love you. And there'd be other mornings where it would be on the front porch Fell out of their hand before they even got into the car and I would pick it up and I go So this is how much you love me as they drove away. No, I wouldn't do that But I didn't do it for the response I could get from them I did it because I never wanted them to doubt my love And I don't know how God has crafted your mind But I just remembered I wanted to respond to him in any idea he gave me so some of this, the first time you do it, it's going to be awkward, but the way you do this is to do more times, do more reps. How do you love someone? By loving them, by doing loving things for them. And I just think about all the minds in this room and all the hearts in this room. You can love people. And, and I don't want to overwhelm you with what I've done because it's never too late to be a dad. Dad. I'm 56 years old, and every time my father, who is now 85 years old, tells me, I love you. I'm proud of you. You're a blessing. It melts my heart. I always receive that. So you can go, man, I've been a horrible dad. I've not lived like Joe here. Don't worry about it. Today is the day. Will it be awkward? Absolutely. You've never done it before. But the only way to love is to love. And so I would encourage you on that. And then when you wake up as, as we talked about this, be that last voice of affirmation with your kid. Some of you have never had a father who told you they loved you. Some of you have never had a father in your life. Um, we need to be people who gather around each other and affirm each other and love each other. These intentional practices that Moses is saying is, is you, that's how you show them That God loves them. That's how you live in the love of God, by overflowing your love into their lives. And then it says here in verse 20 of of Deuteronomy 6, when your son asks you in time to come, what's the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? In other words, when your kids say to you, why are we going to church? I like staying home. This is what you should tell them. We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. See, They had Egypt, which they were delivered from. We had eternal death that we were delivered from through Christ. So we were all destined to hell. And God loved us so much, he sent his son to live a life none of us could live, to die a death none of us could pay for, and to rise from the dead to defeat sin and the power of death in our lives. We love him because he first loved us. Why do we go to church? To love God. And to love other people who are in our lives. Why do we, why do, we do this when there's so many other, other options? Why don't we do select soccer more? Why don't we do dance more on the weekend? Why don't we just sign our kids up for all this? Because coming out of COVID, they need more things to do. Because we love the Lord and we love him with our first and our best. And we will not neglect the community of believers who worship him. And show us a picture of what it's like to love him. That's why we do this. That's why we do this. And then finally, in community. And I'll just comment on those four words at the end there. Not only on the doorposts of their house, but on your gates. And you might think today that you have a fence around your house and that's your gate. But literally what was meant here is the gate of a city. So that all those inhabitants of the cities in the land that God had placed them would know this is a group of people who love God. It starts in you, most of your family, and it moves out into our community. And every week we get together and we model this. You worship God, you love him with your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You reach out to the family members and the church family around you and encourage them. And now God sends you out beyond these gates so that Topeka would know that you are a people who loves God and loves them the way God loves them. Folks, people are not opening their Bibles to find out who is God and how does he love him. They're looking at you who live next to him who work next to them, who handle business transactions with them, who buy your gas if you're selling it at a gas station, or, or whatever you do, sit in your classroom. And I just look at the potential of this. If you're loving God and you're loving others the way he loves you, guess what? There's a platform of the gospel to come through where others' hearts are fulfilled where others' souls are grounded, where others' strength is renewed in the person and the work of Christ. See how it moves? It moves humbly, faithfully, and persistently through the people of God who receive it and live it. Okay, so let's just read this again, and then I'll pray. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. I asked you this question as we began. Do you want to be a person who loves the Lord your God with your heart, with all your soul, with all your might? If that is you, just say it to him right now. Bow your head and just say, God, make me a person who loves you with my first and my best, not my last and leftovers. Make me a person who loves you with my mind and with my passions and my desires, Ask him to do that right now and I'll pray for you when you're done. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these moments. These moments where we get to see your heart, your heart of love for us and your invitation to love us back. May we be people who love you personally so that what we want for others is in us so that we can give it we can give it to them and reflect it in all the relationships, everywhere, all the time, to the people you have placed in our lives. And may you use us as families that are loved by you and love you to go out into this community and show them the love of their Heavenly Father. It's in Christ's name I
1: pray, and for his glory that we live and love, we pray. Amen. Before we dismiss, um, I need to let you know that February of 2022 celebrates 20 years of Joe being the lead pastor of our church. And I also want to invite Cheryl to come up at this time, because we know that Joe does not lead on his own, but it takes the two of you to do the ministry that you have done, And so for 20 years, they have led and shepherded and spoke in to us as a church. And so we want to take just a few moments to have some people speak into them. And so at this time, I want to invite a couple from their community group, Paul and Mary Meyer, to come up. And two of our elders, Greg, or not Greg, Alan Wynn and Bill Hess, to come up on stage as well.
2: It's a privilege to be able to come up here and just have this time to be able to show you guys our appreciation, but I would say it's especially a privilege for us to call you both our friend. Um, we were asked, Paul and I, uh, to share a word that um, we felt that you reflect as a person, and Cheryl, as I have come to know you, you easily reflect to me and to those around you the word Generosity sharing life with you in our community group and as a friend. Your generosity never fails to be shown. Every week, you love us so well in opening your home and making us feel loved and blessed and welcomed. You pour yourself into our friendship, always willing to lend an ear, give words of encouragement. You've shared in my tears and laughter, given a hug, a meal, and help whenever it's needed. You have generously given your time and energy in serving our church through the years in so many different ways, so many different ministries and activities, both visibly as well as behind the scenes, but always where a need is. I'm sure that there are a lot of other people that could speak to that even more than me. You have dedicated your time and energy and more to building into our community, share fests, digging holes for plants, even when you weren't feeling well. It is said that generous people give to things that seem impossible so that they become possible. And you have worked tirelessly and loved people in our community who are struggling or in need in order to give them hope and a vision for their future. You reflect generosity in all these ways, Cheryl, but I believe that your greatest example of generosity is in the sharing of your faith with others. It is very easy to see where your treasure lies. The conversations that we share are always filled with God's truths and his promises. I am so thankful for you, Cheryl, and for the generosity that you model to me and to everyone around us.
3: Joe, I want to thank you for your service and leadership over the last 20 years. Uh, It's been a true blessing to have you in my life as a friend, a brother in Christ, as well as my pastor, there are many beautiful traits um, that I think you represent well in your life. And I know last evening your, your sons and daughters were able to come up and, and uh, speak about wisdom that you have and what a blessing that is. Uh, earlier in the earlier service, Curtis Clam came up and spoke about your authenticity, and that's a beautiful trait. Now, I had a hard time because, again, you had a lot of wonderful traits, but the one that I picked is consistency, meaning reliable, dependable and steadfast. You know, it's a beautiful and it's a glorious trait of our Lord because we know He is consistent. And in, in that, we can have hope and put our trust in Him. Joe, we've been blessed by your consistency in the service of and to the church, to the community, from planning out months in advance the sermons and messages that are, will be provided to us, uh, to establishing and maintaining programs such as the Mountain that started early on and is still going forward strongly and rooted and also in following through on themes of you and two and God, his word, and people. As my friend, you've been consistent in showing me grace, providing me encouragement and through our conversation and prayers, as well as in sharing in a lot of laughter. Yet the main reason I chose this word to you and for uh, the word for consistency is the way that you exemplify God's word. Each and every week for the past 20 years, you continue to bring us back to the well of God's grace. And we need this, especially in these times. It's, you know, we all can become, I certainly can become preoccupied in the events going on in the world economically, socially, a global pandemic And yet, at the same time, I can be distracted by things that are really crucial, like who is the best quarterback, Aaron Rodgers or Mahomes? It's debatable. And so, again, I just want to thank you for your consistency and your unfailing work in bringing us back to the well each and every week and throughout your ministry so that we can meet Christ, commune with him, and be astonished at his grace. Joe, we love you we're proud of you, and we're blessed by you. Thank you very much.
4: Hi, I'm Bill Hess, and one of the elders here, and we wanted to, uh, as elders, we wanted to recognize Joe and Cheryl, and thank them for their 20 years of service here, and we have a uh, a gift here that they received every service. It's a it's for a, a one week of uh yeah, 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 not not three extra weeks of vacation, just just one week, and uh, airline tickets for anywhere they want to travel, and and some spending money. So we hope you guys enjoy that. Uh, you've well earned it. Um, I don't know. If, I don't know if you guys realize or not, but I did some searching online, and the average time a senior pastor stays, the median time, is about five years. Three years for smaller churches and for larger churches, uh, like our size more, it's more like 15 years. And so Joe has done quite an accomplishment staying here for 20 years. That's, that's really unusual and remarkable. Um, many times uh, when, Joe, when Joe was first here and we were 100 people, and then we were 500, and then we were 1,000. Now we're in the thousands. Um, there were plenty of times when Joe could have gone to bigger and older and more prestigious churches and, and got greater salaries. But Joe uh, said yes to God's Spirit at work here and chose to stay here and serve faithfully here. And we're, we're thankful that he said yes to God. Um, and also, those churches have, may have had mountains and oceans and but he stayed safe here in Topeka so I remember and I don't know if you do Joe but I remember sitting on my front porch when you came to interview and we talked about where the church had been and and where we wanted to see it go where the elders wanted to see it go in the future and uh, we've always believed that God has had a plan and a purpose for FBC and the thing is that with God his plans always seem to exceed what our vision is and uh I think, Joe, you've seen that as well, and God has done greater things with His church and using you, Joe, than we, we would have ever imagined or hoped for. And so God has certainly showed himself faithful. Um, so what we've done is, as you've kind of seen with, with uh, words that others have picked out, and we've done the same thing. Uh, so uh, like they said with last night with uh, your sons and your daughters' daughter-in-laws, I think the words they had was wise. And hospitality for you, Cheryl. And then this morning, it was um, Debbie and, and Curtis were authentic and devotion. And then you heard Paul and Mary's words, and th- and we did the same thing as elders. Um, so Joe, um, as a as a dear friend and brother, we came up with these fr- words for you as as elders. The words we chose were insightful, authentic, shepherd, uh, visionary, influencer, uh, leader and the man with compassion and that's how we see you joe uh, i think so alan has a plaque for you and i think he wants to say thank you and and, and pray for you mm-hmm. thanks phil
5: yes uh joe and cheryl we appreciate and love you guys so much this is a plaque that just says thank you for 20 years of faithful service at fellowship bible church i thank my god and all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you uh all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, Philippians 1. So this is for you two. Thank you. Um, thanks for your love shown to me, to my family over all these years. You guys have been dear friends, encouragers, um, uh, partners through a lot of suffering, good times, and struggling times as well. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this dear couple. We love them so much. We appreciate them. Thank you for their 20 years of faithful service here uh, at Fellowship Bible Church. Thank you that um, Joe and Cheryl both have served you and shown their love for you through hundreds of small group meetings in their home, um, hundreds of Bible studies they've attended or led, uh, hundreds of relationships, Father, as we've heard about even just over the last few minutes here, Father. We pray that you will continue to use them both in your faithful service. Father, may they someday, as well as each and every one of us, hear those words from you, Father. Uh, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, I pray that they will be able to say that they have fought the good fights, that they have kept the faith, that they have finished the course, for your glory, for your honor, Lord, pointing it all to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.
0: All right, thank
5: you,
1: Dan. Thank you.
0: Thank you. You're dismissed and I feel loved. Thank you so much.